Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Selective Hearing. I am your host, Julie DeMar, and this week I have a very special guest with me, and we are going to be discussing deep listening, how deep listening relates to selective hearing, and we're going to get into a discussion about relationships. I am going to introduce to you Miss Corby Midlight. Yes, that is correct. Corby yes, Midlight, everybody. Okay, I, I have a thing where I do not want to butcher people's names. My last name gets butchered all the time. And like, I'm just like, just take the time out to ask. So I asked actually before I hit record and then I kind of got nervous. So I'm going to give the floor to Miss Corby. She's going to just introduce herself and tell us a little bit about herself. And then we're going to get into this deep discussion about deep listening. Okay. Hello, everybody. I'm Corby Mitlide. The 30-second elevator speech. I am a certified tarot master. I've been reading for 50 years. I'm a past life specialist, psychic medium, author, intuitive counselor. My own life has been a roller coaster with no breaks. Three bouts of breast cancer, two divorces, rape, abuse, poverty, you name it. But I have come out of it. This is what 68 looks like. On the other side with a real understanding of how important listening is and when you listen instead of halfway through what they're saying you start to formulate your own answer that's when the real communication starts and I would love to talk about that with you today Julie. I'm so excited because I always say I feel like in every conversation that I have and I know it sounds crazy because I'm a, I'm a show host but I feel like people only listen to respond. They they don't listen to actually process the information and then respond correctly. It's just almost like who can beat who to the finish line. And it's the most frustrating thing, especially when it's happening in your relationships. Like it's really easy to write people off on the street, but when it's the people you care about, it's, it's the most triggering, frustrating, craziest thing that we can go through. Like, ah, you're not hearing me. What exactly is deep listening? Because I, I know I looked up some stuff. I want her to explain it to us. Okay, now the one thing I'm also gonna say about how people just are listening to respond and they talk over you, a lot of it is also cultural. I'm from New York. We do that. It's just what we do. And so it was a real learning experience for me to put the brakes on it and zip it until you hear that half a second of silence. Okay, they're done. Deep listening is when it's not about you, it's about them. It's about when you're not reciting your grocery list or you're not double thinking is what I call it. You are completely focused, heart deep on what the person in front of you is saying. You're not judging it. You're just absolutely and ultimately listening. And you're also using what I call your underhearing. Now what's underhearing? Underhearing is when you know what they're saying, you get a sense of it, even if it's not on top. The example I use is Tanisha and Deb are out on coffee date and Tanisha is talking all about the date she had last night and he's, you know, he was great and we did this and we did that. And her friend Deb knows her well enough that her underhearing says he stood her up. And so Deb lets Tanisha finish and then looks at her and says, he stood you up, didn't he? How did you know? Well, that's the other way of deep listening is you also hear what they're afraid to say, but allow them space to say it. Now, is that something that can be directly tied to like our body language and the way, like our it eye can, contact in the way that it we're- It can be we, all kinds of things. Yes, it can. Oopsie, now I just did it. Look. <laughs> <laughs> 
it is not just psychic work. And anyway, I would tell you that anybody can do what I do. We're all wired the same way. So yes, it's all those cues. It's body language. It's whether their eyes flick to the side. It's are they written in the chair? Do they stumble over things? These are all clues. So it's deep communication as a whole, but it starts with deep listening. I'll share with everyone. I have a, a thing where I talk with my hands. And I also, when I am thinking about, because I like to think about the words that I use. I'm in this thing where I, I feel like I need to choose better words because there was a time where I was like, I'm still snazzy, but you know, like there was a time where the words I was choosing, they were kind of negative and they were hurtful and I was good at it. I was real quick. Sometimes that happens even because it was just a negative pattern that I was in for a long time that it comes natural, you know, like the, the whole read culture. Mm -hmm. So in me being mindful of that and how harmful that is and trying to move away from it, I, I do this a lot, right? I turn my head, mm -hmm. I blink a lot, I hyper-focus because I'm really thinking about making a good choice with my words so I don't harm anyone or put anything out there that can be detrimental to someone's well-being. But okay. the way that it looks, and I'm, I'm seeing that now more that I'm actually putting videos out instead of audio, I'm like... I see myself going through the process. I know what it is. I've gotten comments about it where people may feel like I'm not as engaged or paying attention. And I'm like, why are people receiving it that way? But I didn't realize it's cause like, I'm not staring into the camera the whole time or I move around a lot. And I'm like, it's not that I'm not genuine guys. It's actually, I'm very genuine. I'm just trying to make sure I say the right thing. I don't want to hurt anyone or mislead anyone because there was a time where I was doing that. So that's why I asked like, can body language be like um, tied into the way that we listen and we receive the information that someone sitting across from us is giving? Mm -hmm. Because you know, I'm that person. Like <laughs> I've always been that person. <laughs> and again, it's cultural. Mm -hmm. My best friend growing up was Italian and her parents, like typical Italians, gestured and talked this. I grew up in a family where it's very intense. So I tend to go to the camera like this, which is lousy when you're trying to just get an idea across. On the other hand, if you look for someone, for instance, from Japan, where it's a much more crowded area, they have learned to keep their bodies still. You gotta look at your culture. You have to look at how words taste in your mind. That's a big thing. I don't just say I'm a writer. I tell people words are my drug of choice because they are. Finding the right word is so important. It's like tuning a radio. You want to know about deep, li deep listening? You're not just dealing with the static. You're hearing the clear signal. And because people are half listening, if you don't have the exact right word, they're going to misinterpret, which spirals things down into loggerheads. There are two, in my book, Clean Out Your Life Closet, I have a chapter on getting clear in relationships. And there are a couple of things that I tell people to do. And the first one I'm going to tell you is to versus at. What's the difference? If I am yelling to my husband, it's because it's been a crazy day and this idiot client and the guy at the car repair shop is at him is, damn it, that's the third time you forgot to take the trash out and now we have it piling up in the back. He knows if I come stomp, 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 he looks at me and says, is this to me or at me? And once he knows that, it completely changes how he listens. If it's, I'm just itching to him, he puts on the spiritual duct tape and holds space for me. If it's at him, then we talk. The same thing with fix versus listen. And I'll tell you, we women know guys are fixers. And we come in and we're r r r about a situation. They say, well, have you tried this? And how about that? And if you did, and they constantly are deflecting us 
from getting our ideas out. And when we feel we constantly have to defend against that, then there's another argument. He says, all right, do you want me to try and fix this? Or do you want me just to listen? If I say, just listen, duct tape. If I say, help me fix it, then I am ready to deeply listen to his ideas and I'm open to them. They're not distractions. Do you see how that simple ask changes the entire dynamic? I'm going through that, like, right now. I feel like, um, like, when I say things, he's always deflecting. And then I get mad at him deflecting. And then that's interpreted as, well, you don't really care about what I'm saying. And then there's a build there. So, like, me and my husband have been together, like, 15 years. We've only been married for five out of the 15 years. And then, like, when we got married, we, boom, boom, two kids. We got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. That changes the dynamic of a relationship because Boy, it, it was just it was just the two of us living you know I was doing my thing he's doing his thing and like even though you know we live together and we are sharing our lives together there I think a lot of people don't know until they're in it like there is a difference in marriage there's a yes. different expectation there's a different way of of just life and when you're used to being able to live your life separately and together the way that you want and then you drop two kids in it's like the whole system gets scrambled you don't really know how to talk to each other anymore or you don't really know what to talk about or how to talk about it you can't really talk about certain things because the kids are around so that's why another reason why when I was like gosh we should bring up relationships in this conversation how this could mm -hmm. apply to relationships because I know just based on what I'm experiencing right now it's it's a little hard to navigate those waters because we're in different territory but I'm probably not the only person out there that goes through it and I remember in our pre-interview, you're like, hey, you know, like I've been married, I've been through, you know, like I have experience in this subject. So I was like to all my listeners out there who are in relationships, who are in friendships, who are, you know, maybe your husband is getting on your nerves. I think that this skill is something that could be very useful. Employing yes. this skill could be very useful in making sure that your relationship is healthier and mm -hmm. stronger. Because, like, unless it's, like, extremely toxic, nobody wants to walk away from anything for something petty. So how, in our in our relationships, like, how could we apply these things to improve them, in a way? Okay. Well, for one thing, I want to just pop on your thing about marriage makes it different. I don't care if you got kids or not. Um, I had two very short, very bad marriages. And I was confirmed a bachelorette. But I had dated bad biker boys, and along comes this wonderful guy who's very much like Father Mulcahy on Mashed. So we dated for a year, though we had known each other for several, lived together for a year. We figured we had been there, done that, sold the franchise. Marriage wouldn't make a difference. Oh, yes, it does. I don't know if there's magic in that little piece of paper, but the energy shifts. You, There is no more, I could leave tomorrow. You made promises. And even in this day of marriages are like Velcro, put it on, rip it off. You can feel like there's a difference here. There's a real difference. One of the things that I teach my clients and also works not only with relationships with your, your partner, but your kids, is to ask the three most important questions in the world when they're upset or sad or whatever. What do you X about? X is the emotion sad, angry, fearful, confused, whatever. Why are you X about that? And then the question we never ask ourselves, what do you think would happen if you stopped being X about that? Giving ourselves a chance to choose, it's called stimulus belief response. How would that work for a kid? Let's look at that. Johnny comes up, stomp, stomp, stomp. 
like my teacher. Hi, Johnny. Hi. What are you upset about? She gave us double homework. Why are you upset about that? Because maybe I can't go out and play now when I wanted to. Okay. What do you think would happen if you stopped being upset about your homework? I don't know. If you had to guess. Always say if you had to guess, because that frees them to tell you what they really think. I guess I could do it and go out and play. Okay. You want to try that? Okay. Now, see what just happened. The kid was not negated. Most parents, oh, I'm mad at my teacher. You shouldn't be mad at your teacher or you know, what's the matter? I don't want this homework. Well, you have to do your homework. There is no acknowledging the child's feelings. But when you ask the questions, you let them get their feelings out and you show them they can do critical thinking. They can change their minds. Same thing with our spouses. Carl, you know, Carl no longer works. He's retired, but he used to be a museum director for a small Revolutionary War museum here in Schoharie. Stomp, stomp, stomp. What a lousy day. I don't say, well, mine was worse, or sorry, honey, and go do what I'm saying. I say, what are you upset about that? Then we would be able to talk about it. And maybe he just needed space to blah, get it out. Or maybe he wanted to see what else could be done. But because I was willing to listen, I didn't dismiss it. Oh, he's always mad when he comes home. Well, I've had a worse day. You're making that marriage connection stronger. He knows he's cared about. And we learn how to talk to each other, not at each other. Am I making sense here, Miss Julie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's funny because you, you use kids as an example, the husband as an example. And with my kids, like I have all these books. Mm -hmm. Because I'm also like gun home and parenting them very different than the way I was raised. So I have all these books and I have all these different techniques that are given to me that I mm -hmm. apply to my children to help them, you know, make their own choices and, and all these different kind of things. Help instill empathy and confidence and resilience and all these wonderful things in them. And then like you talk to your husband, you'd be like, I'm tired. I've been with the kids all day, cleaning up the house for 30th time. Do you want to eat? Good night. You know, <laughs> and it's like... That whole, your your family, like your husband and your wife, you guys just be like, I'm tired. But then like, it, you do that for so long, it's like, okay, um, how, yeah, there's, yeah, there's some distance now. So it's like, uh, you have to find like a way to get in there before it's too far gone and, you know, mend everything and find a way to effectively like tackle this new life together or say like, hey, we got to move on, you know? in those moments it's like gosh like well are there books about marriage out there i don't know there's a there's millions on kids i never looked about i never looked them up for uh marriage but i know there's a bunch about kids i know that but it's it's cool that you just made that correlation because it's like oh yeah you can take those same techniques that you use with your children and use them with your partner and there there's there's a effective way to reach some sort of resolution there is when you do that with your partner, it also helps with the kid because I've had to deal with a lot of clients that once they had kids and one partner felt marginalized, the kids were more important. I have a client who's a doctor, you know, his kids are, are grown now, but he says, I was always number four in the family. You know, my wife was first and the kids, and I was four unless the dog came before me and sometimes the dog did it. He meant it, that the wife was so busy raising the kids to be perfect exactly what she wanted them to be and taking care of the dumb animal that the husband was only the monkey brought in the money. That marriage is irretrievably shattered. And it didn't have to be. If the wife had just remembered 
marriage and then when the two of them work together it benefits those kids because they have two absolutely committed parents one parent doesn't subliminally resent the kids because they've totally lost their partner and that's real i have a a lot of discussions because i don't have a lot of married friends either not like a lot of mm-hmm. there's this whole i rather just stay single because there's too much trash out there conversation that everyone's yeah. been having with me lately <laughs> And I'm mm-hmm. like, I've been out the game for so long, I wouldn't know. I'm like, I just listened to your war stories and I'm like, dang, I definitely don't want to be out there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, gosh, it sounds, yeah. Mm-mm. I, I definitely, that, that's not something that I want to swim around in. But uh, it's interesting though, like how, like things that you would never think about end up happening. And I want to like talk about it because I want to like make it more comfortable for people to talk about things like this. <laughs> more accepting because when you talk about it and you acknowledge it like you're not trying to like focus on like you said um making everything perfect and presenting well how about we like just focus on like living life realistically and like solving problems and being happy and genuine so that's the only reason why i'm talking about this i always put myself on the fire every episode and it's like um one interesting thing is like when you're before you have kids you can go to the movies all the time you go on date night all the time hey let's go to the bar and shoot pool Hey, let's do this. Let's do that. Then you have kids and it's like, we don't have no babysitter or we don't have this or we don't have that or I'm too tired or I'm this or I'm that. So everything that built your relationship up, everything that you were used to doing, even the way you used to communicate with each other, intimacy, all that. That's another thing I want to ask you about is how deep listening directly correlates with intimacy too, because a lot of people don't know the difference between what intimate, being intimate with your partner and being like um, sexual with your partner. Those two totally different things, both important, but very different. You have all these moments, these great moments with each other and then you drop in kids and it changes and no one really tells you that before it happens. Like you have this idea and then like, you don't realize that you're gonna suffer sleep deprivation or you don't realize that just there's gonna be some days where you just don't want to do it or you know this happened and you broke up 16 fights and you know had to hug through 19 tantrums stuff like that happens mm-hmm. but it's like the importance of having a conversation with each other listening to each other and maintaining those things that brought you together in the first place like super duper important so i'll give you the floor because i i know i asked you about a couple of things in my rant so <laughs> okay number one god make sure you laugh together find a dumb marriage joke thing with us it's ducks. This is Ducky. Everybody see this is the duck. When we were first dating, driving down a lonely road and there was some kind of 80s music on the radio and all of a sudden Carl is driving and this duck goes like this right across the windshield and he almost drove off the road. It was so funny. So now ducks are a thing and we always go to the little claw machines and pull out a tiny little rubber duck when we go out on a trip. When you have something that is absolutely just between the husband and, well, the partner and partner, let's say that now, that's an immediate intimacy thing. You didn't buy the ducks because doohickey here likes duckies. This is our thing and it makes you laugh. Intimacy is not just sex. When I had my third bout of breast cancer, the doctors took me from a Dolly Parton figure with a libido of a 17-year-old boy to a fat fire plug with permanent side effects and they damaged me so much internally. That was it. Sex was done. And we were only married for 18 months at that point. Now, year 21 or 22 we had to learn intimacy differently and so it's the laughter 
it's the appreciation. I will go up to Carl and I'll just stand in front of him with this slightly demanding look on my face and he'll chuckle and that's the hug. Intimacy isn't just sex. It is the I love you. It's the I believe in you. It's the I'm here. He does the breakfast dishes. I sneak up behind him with a safety belt hug and it has kept us together insane when our marriage had a tactical nuke dumped on it a year and a half after we got married. So intimacy is possible and it isn't about who does what in the bedroom. In that sense, our marriage is stronger than a lot that I know that is supposedly normal. Yeah. I can definitely like relate to that, especially since having kids, it changes everything. It keeps mm-hmm. it on. Yeah. I, I wish I had Dolly Parton's <laughs> like but I went from I went from like this snatch little, you know, thing. Holly Berry like thing to sweatshirts. I wore high heels. I'll tell everybody a funny story. I never would leave my house without wearing high heels. And Mm -hmm. I always would have on makeup. And I always, you know, like I remember like before my grandfather died, he was saying like, oh, I remember Julie would come visit me in the hospital. And he was like telling everybody stories because at the end he kept going in and out the hospital. So he's like, I remember Julie came and visit me at the hospital. And the nurses told them, told him like, oh yeah, Rose, a supermodel came to see you, was looking for you walking down the hallway. And he was like, who? And then he was like a supermodel looking for me. And then they were like joking about it. And then I came and then they were like, oh, here she is. Cause I like left, I, they moved him. I went on one floor, went to another floor. So I found him and I'm here. I come clicking down the hallway with my high heel shoes on. And I come in, he was like, that's no supermodel, that's my granddaughter. And he was like, you don't ask her why she never leaves the house without those shoes on. And I was like, cause you never know who's gonna see you. You never know who you're gonna run into. So that was like my mentality before kids. Now you'll catch me in sweatpants, activewear, Crocs. If I get to put on makeup, it's usually for you guys when I'm filming this show. So once a week, I get <laughs> and it's, it. just, it's just quick and you go. So it's like, all these crazy things change and I'm sure like all the moms out there all the parents out there people out there can relate but like I went from that to this and like you don't feel sexy like a real a real thing you don't feel sexy or you don't even think about that some days at the end of 97 tantrums you just need a hug or at the end Mm -hmm. of fighting with the crazy moms in Target or you know doing homework or whatever it's like those are the things that matter and that become important especially when you get older like yes when we're starting to reach those final chapters like what what else have we built what else do we have so Mm -hmm. i think it's important for everybody to just ask themselves that question yes like as far as what it when it comes down to having a relationship with their spouse because the kids are going to move on they're going to go get married or they're going to go have a good time and do all the stuff there so what will you have left once they walk out that door but there's something else how many kids end up with the same type of marriage that their parents do? If they never see their parents hug each other, express kindness, PBAs, then the kids won't know that it's okay. But if they see that daddy hugging mommy is normal, mommy complimenting daddy, that's a, you know, you built that cat tree and look how good that is because like my husband built this cat tree. We have a 22 pound Maine Coon. Normal cat trees will work. But when a child sees both parents appreciate each other, then that child will realize what's important in a relationship, will look for that kind of whole and healed partner themselves, and pass on the knowledge that mommy and daddy love each other to their own kids. 
It's when a woman says, well, I have to stay with my husband. You know, it's just, I should. I don't want my kid growing up in a broken household, but the husband is always yelling at her and belittling her, and she's got a daughter. I said, what are you showing your daughter? That she can expect to be bullied and emotionally battered because you're not allowed to leave. That gets through to them. That too was a deep listening. You have to listen to yourself. You have to listen to what's happening in a relationship for you and ask yourself, is this healthy? Is this what I want? Is this what I want to show my kids? It's listening funny. goes inside too. It's funny that you said that because I did a live about relationships. This was like maybe like a year ago now. And it was, I said like a lot of people like, oh, my grandma and grandpa were married 65 years or, oh, my, you know, my parents have been together 40 years. And I'm like, but that doesn't mean that they're in a good marriage. We often like uh, directly associate that time that people spent with each other with, oh, that was yeah. a good marriage. And then you end up in the exact same kind of marriage. And that's all you're thinking about is all the time that I spent here, I'm supposed to be here. I'm, I'm successful in it. All the time that I spent in these friendships, I'm supposed to like, that doesn't mean your friend is a good friend. Doesn't mean your partner is a good partner. It doesn't mean like I was on this job for 45 years. It doesn't mean that that was the job for you, you know? And I, I it's so funny that you said that because I brought that up like maybe like a, a year ago, I did a live and everybody, it was one of those lives and people were like, Rah! no, my parents were, <laughs> and I was like, I'm not attacking your parents. I'm not saying that your parents didn't have a good relationship. I'm just saying that some people that's like the staple for them in defining what a healthy relationship is, is the amount of time that you spent in it. And I'm just here to offer a different opinion. And that opinion is that's not necessarily always true. And all the things that you said are true. Like you will model your relationship after the relationship that you saw. What else are you gonna do? Either you're gonna model after the relationship that you saw, or if you didn't have a, those relationships in your life, you're gonna create one in your mind and go after that. That's that's yes. just really where it goes. Mm -hmm. It takes massive amounts of work to avoid that. My parents had a very, very dysfunctional marriage. My mother was an alcoholic, cross-addicted with barbiturates, and emotionally and sometimes physically abusive. My father did not, he loved me, but he didn't stand up for me. So my first two marriages were basically like that. First marriage lasted for less than a year. First time he hit me and threw me against a wall, I was gone. Second one decided he didn't want to share his money. And so left me dumped in Atlanta and I am not a Magnolia, I'm a bagel. <laughs> I needed to be back up in New York. This one, you would think after 18 months of what happened to us, my husband saw one of the six normal marriages in America, I'm convinced. His parents loved each other, stayed married. It was a good solid family life. So he worked at keeping it together and taught me how to do it too. That's rare. If you can show your kid that good marriage, you have no idea what it, it is more valuable than a college education. It is more valuable than a new car. It is more valuable than anything because you give them a chance to be happy and to marry someone they love and then, yeah, maybe it will be a 60-year marriage and there'll be little old raisins on the grandchild's dance floor at the wedding. Isn't that what you want for your kids? Of course mm -hmm. it is. Yeah, I most definitely do. I have two little boys, too, and I'm like the cutest Oi. thing. Like, two and four. Yeah, it's it's wild around here. I'm in the thick of and it. I always want to be teenagers at the same time. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> like I told, I, I have a group chat with my best friends, and I'll send them like pictures of me looking wild. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in the trenches. That's like my thing. Like I am in the trenches to, and it's like what I'll go through detail, whatever was happening today. Mm-hmm. Like today is a trench day. Like that's where I'm at. Yeah. With it. But yeah, they. I was in the grocery store with my my four year old, and he goes, "Mom, we walk past the floral department. Mom, let's get some flowers." I'm like, why do you want to get flowers? And he's like, because I love you and I want to get you flowers. And I was like, ah. I, I'm so emotional. I cry and I hug and I'm all about everything. So I'm like in the grocery store, like, oh my God, that was so sweet. And this lady standing next to me now, she's like, oh my God. And I'm like, uh, I was like, sweetie, that's so nice. And I was like, the fact that you even thought about that that's enough for mommy. And I was like, and I love you. And I'm glad that I get to be your mommy. I give him a big old hug. And now he's in the grocery store, just like, he's the man, you know? Like, but mm-hmm. it's things like that, definitely, those are the things that are so rewarding as yep. a parent. Because like, I came from a super dysfunctional, like I, my dad was on drugs, my mom was a narcissist. I was the scapegoat child. A lot happened. You know, so it's like coming out of that. I was that person that I mentioned earlier. Like I made up in my mind what marriage should look like because I didn't know. There was no examples. Everybody who was married was divorced. And then the other married people that were in my life, the way that they interacted with each other, I couldn't see myself doing that. So I literally like created this fairy tale. Luckily, like my husband came from something totally different for me. So I was able to be exposed to something that I didn't know existed, not even in the best scenario that I can create in my mind. So it's nice when you have like those moments because I also always, I'm like, am I doing all right? Am I doing okay? Are you guys okay? You know, like it's always, no matter how much you overcome or how healed you, you, you become, like it's still like that lingering question. Like I'm always making sure I'm not damaging them. (laughs) So then you think, things like that and you're like good job good job you know mm-hmm. very all right mom I see you you know and then all right dad I see you so it's nice it's one of the most rewarding things so I had all these questions and our conversation just kind of went where it went and I'm not mad at it every show I always you know I put together like a list of six things for us to kind of run through and this is my first conversation that I've ever had on this show where like we didn't I think I asked you one of the questions maybe two and it just went where it went and it's pretty yeah but it's I'm liking where it's going it's pretty dope so (laughs) I just wanted to say that but there was one thing that I was when I was kind of just like googling you and looking through things and you know trying to find out more before you came on the show I kept like writing this and rewriting it and I was like saying this is just like a mashup of things that I researched and how I was feeling so I wrote like in building meaningful relationships we must communicate effectively in our partnerships to understand one another. And I also said, and to do that, we must be willing to listen instead of just hearing. And I wanted to know after I wrote that statement, the reason why I wrote that statement is because I wanted to know what you felt about that and have you offer some sort of insight to that based on all of your experience and things that you've been through. Hearing 
versus listening is so huge, so huge. You know, I can hear my cats yowling in the background. But when I'm listening, I'll know, are they playing with each other? Is somebody having a hairball? Or is somebody going to knock my precious vase of flowers off the kitchen island? And it's the same thing. When you hear your kids playing, you listen for words, you listen for tone of voice. And with a partner, they can be, you know, like the old Charlie Brown cartoons. But when you're listening, because you're truly interested, all of a sudden you'll catch something in the voice. You'll catch what they're saying and it'll instantly bring you into focus. So yes, you hear a lot of things, but when you listen, you are acknowledging the value of what you're hearing and you can respond appropriately. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It sure is. It sure is. Well, my my uh, first selective hearing promo trailer, I, I said uh, selective hearing is the ability to hear what you want to hear. And I was like, yes. and what we should be doing is listening and then process the processing the information and mm -hmm. then responding. And Cats have selective hearing. <laughs> so do dogs. I think dogs do too because I got a, he's, he's, he just turned 10 um, last week and I swear and he's like a chihuahua terrier like he's mixed with a bunch of stuff. We rescued him from like one of those hoarding house things. So oh, um, for that. he's like, I've had him since he was 10 weeks. They they took him from that situation, took him to like, you know, like a rescue where they had to, you know, make sure he was going to survive. And then I got him and he he's a mess though. He hears nothing. Sit down. Okay. Leave the kids food alone. Outside ears just pop up. Like heard all of mm -hmm. that. Every single word. I mean, every single letter and outside, but didn't hear everything else that I was asking him to do all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's How many of us had to do, you know, you got to spell W-A-L-K-I-E-S because if you say walkies, oh, then the whole world is there. But mm -hmm. if you say bedtime, it's like, I'm sorry, you're speaking Dutch and I'm an English dog. I'm not understanding it. <laughs> yes. It's, yeah. It, it's the same way. Yeah. I love to ask this to every guest because I love how every guest responds. I would like to ask you, how does selective hearing not only relate to deep listening but how in your opinion does it well okay i'll say this how does it relate to deep listening but also um how do you define that for yourself when you're saying how do you define that what is the that under selective hearing selective hearing mm -hmm. selective hearing can also be very healthy when you understand that somebody is putting you down when someone is just being nasty because they're always nasty. You don't have to let that in. You can instead choose to direct your hearing, your deep listening to the people who are supportive, to the people who need to be heard, and to the people who genuinely want to give you deep listening back. Deep listening is not just one way, my darlings. It's not. You deserve it as much as you give it. So I always ask the guests to close the show on a positive, encouraging, motivational word. But if I mm -hmm. don't, that was a closer if I've never heard one before. Like, <laughs> okay. I, that was like, oh my gosh, I felt that. I definitely Good. felt that. So, yes, um, this interview was amazing. Like, I know, like, I kind of, I lost my foot. If, if putting somewhere in there because I was like just like oh I want to ask you I wish I had like two hours because it's like oh I want to ask you this and I want to ask you that and this can go in so many different directions and apply to so many different things and it's very um 
thank you. I'm gonna say thank you first. And it was like very amazing having you here to have this conversation. Because a lot of conversations that we have here are, are great and amazing. And I love every single guest for what the value that you bring to the show. Until I met you, this was the first time that I've ever even heard of deep listening. When um, you first reached out and then when we had our pre-interview and I was just so intrigued by it and so interested in it because even like it took me forever to even write out your package because I was like what questions am I going to ask her because it can apply to so many different things and because it's so relevant how do I bring this in and this is probably why I just went everywhere with it today because it was like how do I rein this in and keep us in in the six that I always you know formulate you know the six questions and talking points that I always kind of formulate each episode on. And it, thank you. Like, thank you very much. I even feel like I'm walking away with something. I always walk away from every episode, but I feel like I'm even walking away with something new to apply in my relationship at the end of the day. Like I can, instead of being like, yo, I'm tired. Okay. I can like, okay, pull it back. I pull it back a thousand times a day for the kids. I don't ever tell the kids I'm tired or leave mommy alone or mommy's busy or anything like that. I come, you know, I get down on their level and no matter how tired I am, I put on my game face and we handle it. Mm -hmm. I got to do the same thing with him. I think it's just easy to kind of like dismiss the day when it comes to our spouse because we're grownups. Yep. And it's like, yo, let's right. talk about it tomorrow. I'm tired. No, let's put Julie, the kids to bed and talk about it now. <laughs> uh, you know, I, you're going to laugh. I've done hundreds of podcasts. Why do I do them? I mean, I've been a host like you, but like you, I'm a good interviewer and I was making them shine and what was I chopped liver. On a podcast, I get to talk to total strangers and shoot my mouth off for an hour and I just think it's such fun. And a lot of it is, is what I do for a living. I work six days a week, 14 hours a day. I read a thousand people a year and I've done that for over 20 years. That's 20,000 lives. 20,000 situations, 20,000 problems to heal, to solve, to hold hands for. You cannot do that successfully unless you have learned deep listening or you'll burn out. That's why you got what you got. Well, I appreciate what I got today. And I really hope that the audience is as enthusiastic about it as I am, because like, this was really, this I, dope is like one of my favorite words. And like, this was so dope to me. I get like, it. This was amazing. So thank you again. And could you please let the audience know how they can get in touch with you, your social handles, your website, um, where they can purchase your book and all of that great stuff. Julie, they can't avoid me is the God's honest truth. <laughs> they can't. Number one, my website is CorbyMitlai.com. You can find me on YouTube, Pinterest, Instagram, Medium. I write on Medium, all under CorbyMitlai.com. You can get all three of my books at Amazon, and they're all under CorbyMitlai. And as always, all this information will be on my website, on my social media, and in the summary for this episode. So thank you for being here again. And everyone, thank you for tuning in. Until next week, this is Selective Hearing.